There are many men in this world that the world would call great. Kings and political powers that have kept peace and conquered territories and lands would be called great by many. Military commanders who have been great leaders on the battlefield are also considered to be great. Athletes who have thrilled the spectators with their abilities are called great. Most of them aren't worth what they get paid, but they're called great. But today I want us to think about the, the view from above. Let's think about men that God considers to be great and how we can be that kind of a man if we are a father and if we are a man. These are men that most likely are unheard of by the world. I'm talking about men that have come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Men who have been faithful to their wives. Men who have been examples to their children. Men that have taken time to invest Christian character in their families. These are truly and really great men. Usually we hear about the father-son relationship and we talk about dads and their boys and rightly so, men training men to be men. And that's important. If you have boys in your home, teach them to be men. Train them to be men. However, I want to step aside from that theme and I want us to look at a daughter's father in the Bible. A daughter's great father. In our text this morning, we have just such a man. His name is Jairus. Jairus comes from the root word Jah or Yah, which means God will enlighten. That's an interesting name, isn't it? God will enlighten. What is it that would, re would re be required of this man that would qualify him to be a great father and a great man? Well, there's a couple of things that I want you to notice. There's some notes on the back of your bulletin if you want to fill them out as we go along. First of all, Jairus did the greatest thing a father could do. He did the greatest thing a father could do. Look with me at verse number 41 of Luke chapter 8. It says, And behold, there came a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come unto his house. First of all, as we think about the greatest thing a father can do, he was intelligent, he came to Jesus. The greatest thing you can do as a father is come to Jesus. Come to know him as your Lord and Savior, come to live for him, come to serve him. And that might not seem like very much to you initially, but that's very, very important and it will make all the difference in the world in your family. Much is made today of deadbeat dads and abusive fathers, but I believe that the greatest abuse that comes from a father today is a father that does not spiritually lead his family to God. He doesn't teach his family about the Lord Jesus Christ. You may not be, dad, all that you ought to be, and you may not feel you're everything you'd like to be. But if you'll come to the Lord Jesus Christ, He'll change your life. Amen. And if you'll allow Him to change your life, He in turn 
will cause you to have an impact on your family as you lead them to Christ. So he was intelligent, he came to Christ. Besides being intelligent, we read that he was a religious man. He was a religious man. Again, verse 41 says that he was a ruler of the synagogue. Synagogue was a local center of worship. Obviously, in these days, the Jewish people had their synagogues, and they would come and they would worship the Lord. But the Bible says he was a ruler of the synagogue. It was, in other words, his responsibility to oversee the administration of the building and the, the, the administration of the synagogue itself and the worship supervision and so forth. It would have been quite unusual for a respected ruler of the synagogue like this man was to fall down at the feet of an itinerant preacher like Jesus and beg him to heal his daughter. It should be obvious to all of us that faith in a religion without a living God is pathetically deficient. Religion without Jesus Christ is hopeless and helpless. And we have a lot of religion in our world. I'm thankful Christianity is not a religion. It is a person. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jairus was either smart enough to recognize that deficiency, or else he was just grasping at straws. I don't think either is the case. I think evidently Jairus believed that Jesus could heal his daughter. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23 says, And he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed. And then he added this little phrase, and she shall live. He believed Jesus could heal his daughter and that she would live. Religion is designed by man, not by God. God's desire is not religion, it is relationship. And he wants every one of us to have a relationship with him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to have fellowship with him. That's one of the reasons why God created man, so that we can have fellowship with God. And he wants that fellowship. He wants us to have it. I think most men like to have a relationship with their sons and their daughters, with our children, amen? And we want to have a good relationship. God, our Heavenly Father, wants to have a good relationship with us. And it starts through faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jairus evidently had that kind of faith. He realized that Jesus could change and make a difference in the life of his daughter. Apart from acknowledging God as your spiritual father, there is another father in this world. And John chapter 8 tells us about it in verse 44. It says, You have your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. See, there's not just one family in this world, there are two families. There are two fathers. There's God the Father, and there is the devil who is the father. And Jesus said to these Pharisees, ye are of your father the devil. He's a murderer. He's a liar. Unfortunately, when we are born into this world, we're born into the wrong family. Amen? The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're born in this world as sinners, a part of the devil's family. But thank God we can get born again. Amen? And we get born into God's family. 
And when fathers come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, then they can have a big impact on their families and lead their children and their wife and their family to follow the true and the living God. Religion alone, like atheism, is godless, and it will send a man to hell. And if the family follows that man, he'll take his entire family with him. Now, that brings me to the third thing, and that is this. What motivated Jairus to seek out the Lord Jesus? What motivated him to seek out the Lord Jesus Christ? Quite simply, it was a crisis in his home. It was a crisis in his home. His daughter was dying. His religion failed him. It didn't, what, didn't give him what he needed at this particular crisis in his life. So he came to Jesus. He came to him humbly. He fell at his feet and he asked for help. In fact, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 18 records that Jairus worshipped him. He fell at the feet of Jesus and he worshipped him. And he begged Jesus to come to his house and to heal his dying daughter. The greatest thing that a father can do is to ask Jesus to come to his home and be a part of his home. To bring Jesus into your home. You see, we've brought a lot of the world into our home, haven't we? But God wants us to bring him into our home. And it would be great if we as dads would do that before the crisis comes. And before, we don't know where else to turn. Let me ask you a question this morning. What will it take to bring you to Jesus? And you may sit here and say, well, I'm saved. I've already come to Jesus. Are you really, have you really invited him into your home? Are you as a dad setting the example? Is your home a Christ-centered home? What will it take to bring Jesus into your home? For this man, it took a daughter who was dying. Secondly, I want you to notice that Jairus demonstrated the greatest example of a father's love. The greatest example, back in verse 41 again, it says he's a ruler of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come to his house. For he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. You see, the greatest example of a father's love is he came to talk to Jesus about his child. Let me ask you a question. Do you pray for your children? You pray for them every day. This man came to talk to Jesus about his, about his child. Some of the toughest, strongest men that you've ever known will break down and cry like babies over their children. Amen, dads? <laughs> Amen. Those little girls have a way to look to their daddy, don't they? They can wrap daddy around their little finger. One time one of our girls, when they were little, asked me for something, and I was just kidding around with them, and I said, why should I do that? And they said, because you're my big, handsome daddy. And I said, anything you want, you can have. You know? <laughs> I'll give you up to half of the kingdom. You know? <laughs> they know how to wrap us dads around their finger. 
And those little girls, they look up to their daddy and they believe their daddies can do anything in the world. If it's broke, he can fix it. If it's messed up, he can straighten it out. If they have a problem, he can solve it. If they have a hurt, he can make it better. And if they have a need, he can fill it. They look to their dads. The most privileged children in this world, I believe, are those who have fathers and mothers who pray for them. They pray for them. They bring their children before God and they bring Jesus to their children. Parents that care about what happens to them now and what happens to them eternally and who are helping to prepare them for that. Parents that will love and parents that will discipline them in accordance to the word of God. Jairus was willing to put aside all of his own selfish pride as a religious ruler, as a leader of the synagogue. He set all of that aside. The, the religion didn't meet the needs, but he knew somebody who could and he brought his little girl to Jesus. But then came the test of commitment. You see, it's one thing to bring your child to the Lord, but then... Sometimes God checks us out and tests us to see if we really mean business, doesn't he? Jairus faced the greatest test of a father's faith. What was that test that he faced? He had to wait on God. He had to wait on God. You ever pray for something and it didn't happen the next day? Or the next day? Or the next day? And the next day and you had to wait on God. I told you my father was an alcoholic, got saved when he was 25. My oldest brother, my dad, when he was five years, when my oldest brother was five years old, my dad used to take him to the bars with him. Sit him on a stool beside him in the bars. And he, he didn't give him the, the beer and the alcohol to drink, but they all thought it was kind of cute that this little boy came to the bars with his daddy. And dad got saved, and he got Jerry out of the bars, but he never got the bars out of Jerry. Jerry grew up, went to a Christian college, got kicked out for drinking alcohol. And he struggled with alcohol almost all his life. Two years before he died, he went to Jerry Falwell's Elam Alcoholics Home in Lynchburg, Virginia, and got his life turned around. And the influence of dad affected my son or his son, my brother. But dad and mom prayed for Jerry and prayed for him. Dad and mom used to pray this. They used to pray, Lord, if it takes our life, we'd give our lives for our son to come to the Lord. You pray like that for your children? And my brother was 59. He had a massive heart attack and died, which was about two years later after he got his life straightened out. Dad died before my oldest brother did. He didn't see the answer to his prayer. Mom did. But dad prayed and prayed and prayed and he waited and waited. You see, sometimes the greatest test of our faith is waiting on God. For God to do in his time what he wants to do. Mark and Matthew recorded that Jesus actually started on his journey with Jairus to his home. In other words, Jairus came to him and said, my daughter's dying, come to my home. And Jesus started on his journey, but the crowd and the disciples were there, and they were all close upon his heels as he's heading to this home. And before they got very far, another person in need 
a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years reached out and touched just the hem of his garment, and you can picture what happened. Just when you have perhaps the greatest need in your life, and somebody else steps up and takes Jesus' attention. The woman with the issue of blood slipped up behind Jesus and she believed that if she just touched the hem of his garment that she could be healed. And immediately, because Jesus is God and he is omniscient, he knew everything, he knew what motivated the action. This woman touched her and what did the Lord say? He, he asked, who touched me? He said, I perceive that virtue has gone out from me. That word virtue is in the Greek word is the word dunamis. It means power. Healing power had gone out from Jesus. And an interesting thing about all that was that her issue of blood or her hemorrhaging or whatever it was made her ceremonially unclean. And so anybody that she touched or touched her would also be ceremonially unclean in the Jewish religion. And while Jesus dealt with this woman's need, Jairus had to wait. His daughter lay a-dying, the Bible says. And now he's having to wait while Jesus is taking care of somebody else. Most of us do not wait well, do we? Especially us men. Amen, guys? Amen, ladies? All right, I knew the ladies would say amen, even if you guys wouldn't. We don't wait well. But the Lord knew what he was doing, didn't he? He was trying this man's faith. And that brings me to the second thing, and that is it seemed Jairus had waited too long to get Jesus' attention. It seemed like he waited too long. While observing the conversation between Jesus and the woman, Jairus must have been encouraged at first. He had the privilege of seeing another woman healed, and, and Jesus did for this other woman exactly what he was asking Jesus to do for his daughter. But then his servant arrived, and look at verse 49. While he yet spake, Jesus is speaking about this woman and to this woman. While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. What do you think went through his mind at that moment? Your daughter's dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. I can only imagine, but I can speculate what welled up in his heart grief over the loss of his little girl that's just died. Perhaps anger over the interruption that came that kept Jesus from getting there in time. Maybe even regret that he hadn't gotten to Jesus sooner so that he could get Jesus to her in time. But before he could act on any of those emotions that were welling up inside of him, Jesus heard of the daughter's condition and Jesus spoke wonderful words of encouragement. Listen to those words in verse number 50. But when Jesus heard it, he answered saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. How could Jairus have faith in his daughter's healing when she was dead? And now allow Jesus to come into his house after he's touched a woman that is ceremonial unclean, and he, in that sense, is unclean to come, ceremonial unclean to come into the house and touch his own daughter. You see, everything he counted dear to him was gone. But Jesus said, Fear not, only believe. 
His little girl was dead. But Jesus was telling him to believe. Jesus said, fear not, only believe. Faith is believing when it seems totally impossible to believe. Jesus says to us, fear not, only believe. His faith turned to reality. As Jesus comes to his home and, and he and his wife watch the Savior as he goes in and takes their little girl by the hand and brings this little girl who was dead back to life again. Mark chapter 5 verse 42 records that she immediately rose and walked about. Jesus instructed in Luke 8 and verse 55 for them to give, him, give her something to eat. And here it says in verse 55 of our text, verse 54, he put them all out. They laughed at him in verse 53, knowing that she was dead. You see, some people, scoffers say, well, she wasn't really dead, he just revived her. These folks knew she was dead. They laughed at Jesus when he said she's just asleep. And he put them out and took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway. And he commanded to, get, commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished. But he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Jesus had blessed many families with such miracles. But you see, that's what Jesus does best, doesn't he? He gives life to people. You study the New Testament and every funeral that Jesus came to, he brought the dead person back to life again. Years ago when I first started in the ministry, I used to think, you know, I want to do everything like Jesus did, and we try to do that. We'd like to do that. That's our goal. But when you have a funeral, what do you do? I've never, I confess to you, I've never gone to a funeral and preached a funeral and left with the person that was dead walking by my side going home. That's never happened to me. So how can I do like Jesus or be like Jesus if I can't bring them back to life? I can tell the people who are there how they can have spiritual life. Jesus could bring physical life, but thank God he could also bring spiritual life to those who are dead in their sins and trespasses. For Romans 6.23 says, The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I'm thankful that he gives us eternal life. Today, by the grace of God, doctors sometimes can heal people. And sometimes they may be able to seemingly give them life, but they can never give them eternal life. Only Jesus can do that. Eternal life is only available through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby man may be saved. There's only one way, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And here, he brought physical life. You and I can be the kind of fathers that will bring our daughters and our sons to Jesus and will help them to come to know Him and help them to have eternal life and get to spend eternity with the Lord forever and ever. If I could give physical life, you know, I've thought sometimes about Lazarus who was raised from the dead. Jesus raised him from the dead, but can you imagine what Lazarus thought from time to time? I've got to go through that again. He had to die again, didn't he? Our loved ones are with the Lord in heaven. My dad and mom are both in heaven. I've got, I've got five brothers and four of them are in heaven. 
I wouldn't want to bring them back and put them through all whatever they've gone through to go through again. I wouldn't want to. Thank God they have eternal life. And we'll see them again. And the Lord can give us that eternal life. And we can teach our children and train them and help them to come to know the Lord as their personal Savior. And they too can have eternal life and be with Him for all of eternity. You see, here's a daughter's great father. He was great because he did the greatest thing a father can do. He came to a great Savior. And that's the greatest thing you can do is come to a great Savior. He was great because he demonstrated a great love for his child. He loved his child enough to set aside all of his pride, all of his manliness and manly pride, and bow at the feet of Jesus and ask him for help. You know, sometimes one of the hardest things we men have to do is ask for help. We like to think we can fix it. We can do anything, but there are times when we have to say, God, I can't do this. I need you. And you can't get your sons and daughters to heaven. You need God to do that. And some of you may have sons and daughters that are away from God. God can bring them back too. Keep on praying. Keep on bringing them to Jesus. And then he was great because of his great faith in Jesus Christ. His great faith in Jesus. Although this world may never consider you to be great, from God's perspective, Dad, you can be great. First, you come to the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation. And if you've not done that, come to Him today. Love your children. Love them enough to intercede for them and pray for them on a daily basis. And then when you pray, can you stand the test of time of waiting on God and giving God time to work in their lives on your behalf as you pray for them? Will you have the faith to do what Jesus said? Fear not, only believe. Again, some of you sitting here today may have a son or daughter that's away from God. Could I tell you, their condition is not worse than this girl's condition. Amen? She was dead. But Jesus brought her to life. Your child, your son or your daughter, or for some your dad or your mom or your brother or your sister, they may be dead spiritually, but Jesus Christ can bring them to life. And he can change their life as you're faithful to bring the gospel. And as we as men are faithful to live for God, our kids watch our life. They ought to see us as we live for God. You know, I deal with people and, and, and have to deal with counseling many times. You know what I've found through the years? Many times our children have an opinion of God that is equal to what they think of their father. Because what their father is, they think that's what my heavenly father is. That's one of the reasons it's so important for us as dads to live a godly life before our children. Some years ago, I had the opportunity of being at a pastor's conference in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. There were two men that spoke there. They, we, we had, it was a week long, and the first man spoke, Dr. Charles Stanley spoke for three days, and then Dr. Bob Wood spoke, I think, for three or four days, three days. Dr. Charles Stanley shared his testimony one night with us. There was about 100 preachers there. He said, I was really struggling in my ministry. 
Something was missing. I didn't know what it was. He said, I knew I was saved. I knew I was going to heaven. That was not the problem. But something was missing. And he said, I struggled with it so much that finally he said, I got five or six of my preacher friends. He said, we all flew to one town. We met together there. And he said, I told the man, I want you to come. I want you to sit down and listen. I'm going to talk to you and tell you everything I can. When I'm done, he said, then I'm going to shut up and then I want you to tell me what to do. Now that in itself is a miracle for a preacher to let somebody tell him what to do, you know. (laughs) The men came and Dr. Stanley sat down and talked with them. Something's missing in my ministry. I don't know what it is. He talked to them for a while and finally he finished. One of the preachers said, Dr. Stanley, would you just put your head down on the table and close your eyes? He did. He said, I want you to picture your dad taking his arms and just wrapping his arms around you and hugging you and saying, Charles, I love you. He said, I began to weep like a baby. He said, all my life I'd never heard my dad say, Charles, I love you. He said, I realized that night or that day, that what I was missing was understanding that God loved me. And he said, it was as if God put his arms around me and God said, Charles, I love you. You see, dads, our kids look at us and they get their idea of what God is by what we are. It's a big responsibility, isn't it? Put your arms around your kids and tell them you love them. Let them know God loves them. And may you know this morning that God loves you. So much He died for you. So that you will give your life to Him and live for Him because of His love for us. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, would you just in... In an analogy, so to speak, put your arms around each of us this morning. And once again tell us, I love you. You stretched out your arms on the cross. You said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We say, how much do you love us? And you stretched out your hands. Thank you for loving us. We love you because you first loved us. Not a person sitting here this morning, Lord, that you do not love. And you loved us enough to die for us. If we were the only person alive on this planet earth, you would have died just for me. Just for each one here. And I pray today you'll help us to sense your love. Help us to commit our lives to you and love you and live for you. And may our kids see the love of God in us. May they know we love God and may they know we love them. May we become great men. Because we go to Jesus. and Because we bring our children before Jesus and pray for them and love them. Set aside our pride all of our desires of life, to say, I want to lead my kid to Christ, to know Him, to love Him, to live for Him. 
Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.